Well, as, as we are in the third, I can't believe it. How, how many of you, this has snuck up on you, the third week of Advent? Right? This is not the third week of December, but it is the third week of Advent. Um, this, is, this is one of those moments where you begin to think about Christmas time. And, and as I was thinking about this, this message, I was imagining those Christmases where you'd come down and you'd see, you'd see around the tree various presents. Maybe it was Christmas Eve. You know, some people are they're in the Christmas Eve camp and, and they open their presents on Christmas Eve. And for others, they're like, no, that's sacrilege. You open it on Christmas Day. And, and for these people over here, they're like, we're not waiting. <laughs> we got things to do. It's Christmas Eve. We stay up late and then we sleep in. But whatever you do, my guess is that, especially if you've had siblings, you've had this moment, even if it's just a split second, where you come down and you see the Christmas tree and then you see one big present or a couple big presents and, and you ask this question, okay, who's this for? <laughs> now, if your parents are kind, they've, they've labeled them or, or Santa has labeled them. Hate to break it to you, Santa's not real, but uh, he was real. He was a missionary, but not, okay. Um, <laughs> and... and you have this moment of, of who is this for? And I, you know, growing up, I didn't have this as much, but as I, as I uh, got married and, and kind of did stuff with family, we, we did have these bigger Christmas moments, and, and there were a few Christmas moments where we had these big boxes or these big bags, and, and everyone's kind of tantalizing looking at, okay, who is this for? And, and I think that that question, who is this present for, is, is the question that Luke wants to answer uh, as, as we look at Luke chapter 2, as we look at, at the gift of Jesus Christ, I think that God is inviting us to ask the question, who is this for? And the answer is, it's for you. The answer is, it's for you. So let's, let's stand together. We're going to read once again. I'm, so, I'm, I'm pumped about this. This is good. We're going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through uh, 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, what can we give you for these, this, this gift of gifts, your own son, begotten, given to us but not created, our redeemer, the one who stands in our place, our assurance, our substitute. In this story and in your, your son, we see wonder of wonders that he came down to raise us up. God, we see that he was born like us that we might live to be like him. Herein we see love where we cannot rise to him, but he draws us up by grace. And herein we see your power where your, your deity and humanity were infinitely apart, but then brought together in this incarnation. Herein we see your wisdom, God, that when we are undone with no way to, to return to you, you have made a way. You came, God, becoming man to save us as a man to die in my, my place, my death, to shed satisfying blood on my behalf, to work out a, a perfect righteousness for me to receive. Oh God, take me and help me to see these watchful shepherds. Open my mind to, to behold them. Let me hear the good, the good tidings of great joy. And hearing it, let me believe and rejoice and praise and adore. My conscience bathed in the ocean of, of peace and rest. My eyes lifted up to a reconciled father. God, place me among the animals in the manger. To look at them, look with them at our redeemer, at his face, this child who is also God incarnate. In him, you have given us so much in the greatest gift of all gifts. And I pray that by your spirit we would receive, we would re appreciate, and with the shepherds we would glorify your name. That we would praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As we think about this story, I want to invite you to imagine yourself among the shepherds. They found themselves outside of Bethlehem. It says that in the same region, and that region is the region of, of Bethlehem. Out, right outside the outskirts of Bethlehem, these shepherds were watching their, their flocks by night. It's entirely possible that they were watching uh, the, the livestock that would later become animals for the sacrifice. It's interesting that, that otherwise they would likely have been further away from, from the city because of the uncleanliness of the animals. But here they are, shepherds at night, in the darkness. And, and this, isn't, this isn't northern Virginia darkness where there's lights and, and you're passing by one Loudon or, or you're driving to Ashburn or, or you see uh, the rest in town center, and, and because of that, it's not very dark. No, there's darkness apart from the stars in the sky. There's darkness apart from what God has already installed in the constellation. Perhaps they can see some of the city of, of Bethlehem, but, but they are in the dark. And it's interesting as we imagine this situation that you have these dirty, stinky, sweaty, blue-collar workers hanging out in the dark. My guess is that some of them were reclining, maybe even falling asleep, maybe one or two of them poking the other one with the, the shepherd's crook. 
And they're just doing what they normally do. Just mundane, menial work. And it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were, they were filled with fear. And, and we've heard this story before, so you might, okay, yeah, they were filled with fear. But, but no, this would be terrifying, right? You, I, I get scared when I open the door and my kid's there. I'm like, ah, stop that. I'm like, what, stop being, I don't know, just go. Don't scare me. But, but here they are in the middle of, of, of the wilderness, and there's no one else around. There's no, there's no, oh, that's an airplane flying over. There's no, like, oh, someone turned on the lights. They have no reason to expect light. But here, all out of nowhere comes this angel, and boom. And around them, the glory of the Lord, the, the splendor of God, the power of God manifested in, in what I imagine would be overwhelming light hits them. And they are legitimately afraid. You know, it's interesting that, that God chose to, to reveal this good news that we're going to talk about in a minute to shepherds. It's, it's interesting that, that he chose this group of lower class, blue collar workers, some of the most humble in society. God chose for some of the first to hear the good news to be those in humble positions. And, and if we were to move ahead in the story quickly, we might miss that fact. See, the good news is not just that Jesus comes, but that Jesus comes to you. That Jesus comes to me. Do you find yourself sometimes as an outsider? I mean, I think we've all been in middle school, so we've all experienced that at one point or another. Maybe at work, you, you, you find that you can't quite connect with the people around you, that, that you can't really build a relationship. Or maybe in your family, you, you find yourself to be what, what we call the black sheep, or, or you, you have relational rifts where there's, there's this brokenness that enters into the world. There's some humiliation, some humility that exists in your life. Does it, always, does it seem like the people that you, you look around uh, Everyone else seems to be in a better situation than you. I feel like that's, that's the, the danger of Northern Virginia is, is the grass is greener. You know, you, you can live in a really nice space, but then, oh, they live, they live here. You know, they have this job. You know, oh, you know they, they were promoted to this position. There's always an opportunity to look around and realize that I'm in a more humble position than others. Or maybe, maybe it's a different kind of humility. Maybe it's a kind of uh, gap that you see. Is there a gap between what you believe your life should be like and what your life is actually like? Is there a gap between what you know you should be doing and how you know you should be living and how you actually are living and existing? Is there a gap between the, the, the marriage that you thought you were going to have and, and the marriage that you actually do have? Is there a gap between the, the children that you, they were going to be perfect and wonderful little cherubs of grace and glory, but mostly they just stink and step on your toes and frustrate you? Do you find yourself in a humble position? The good news is that God comes to the humble. God comes to those who are low. And so here the angels are, or here the, the shepherds are, they're, they're uh, presently terrified because this angelic being and and again let's clear the slate right 
um, shake the etch-a-sketch. This is not, this is not uh, precious moments, angel. They're like, oh, we just got a sweet wing and a big head and a big eye and just... Which, by the way, it, that would be horrifying if you saw it in real life, but um, in not a cartoon form. But, but angels in the Bible are powerful, scary, dangerous. If you read the Old Testament, angels usually preceded death. They usually came and then, then things, bad things happened. Brimstone, hail, death, judgment. And so the angel comes and terrifies them. And, and this is probably about the third time this angel, we believe it, it's likely a Gabriel. And if you read Luke, you can hear other stories of, of Gabriel interacting with, with humans. He interacts with Zechariah, the, the father of John the Baptist. And he interacts with, with Jesus, or not Jesus, I'm sorry, with, with Mary. And both times he has to, hey, ho, ha, don't fear. And the third time he comes again, he's like, I know, I know. I, it's, it's pretty impressive. Don't fear. He says, don't fear. In fact, he's going to encourage them to go from great fear to great joy. He says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, not bad news. This isn't judgment that's about to come. This is good news that will be for all the people. Why? Because unto you is born this day, today, right now, in the town or the, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, some of you, you've, you've had that phone call where your, your friend calls you, and you know, ladies, your friend calls you, I'm, I'm about to go into labor. And you, you get excited. Or, or, or husbands, fathers, you, you find, oh, my wife is about to go into labor, or my friend's wife is about to go into labor. There's a sense of anticipation and excitement. Now, imagine that kind of anticipation and excitement, and then add uh, 700 plus years we had talked about Isaiah, how he had prophesied that there would be this Messiah who would come, this person who would stand and in, in, in rule in the place of David, who would represent the power and authority of God to his people. But he did not come for 700, over 700 years. And so you have this anticipation that they had, and the angel says, I have good news of great joy. Imagine how excited you might be, begin to feel. There's a Savior. He's come. He says that there has been a, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He, he uses those three words, a Savior, Christ, and Lord. One of the only places in the Bible where these words are clumped together. He's the one who would save his people from his enemies. This word Savior means one who would save. And in the Old Testament, we see God delivering his people, saving his people from his enemies. And we have an ultimate enemy that, that God wants to address and deal with, that namely uh, our sin and the, the results of our sin. And so we have a Savior who has come. But he's not just a Savior, he's the Messiah, the Christ, right? Christ is the same word as Messiah, which is the same as the word, uh, it means to be the anointed one, the chosen one. King David ruled and reigned, and, and by and large, he, he, he lived in a way that was anointed, and it was under the, the grace of God. Now, he was human, he, he had feet of clay, and he sinned, and, and there were great consequences, but, but he's held up as the example that, that he was the one who ruled in, in, the, in the way that God would desire. He, he ruled with a heart after God's own heart. And God promised, I'm going to bring another one who's going to sit on David's throne, a Messiah, an anointed one. And here he is being promised right now. 
He's the Savior, He's the Messiah, and He's the Lord. And that word there means He's the Master. You can't receive Jesus as Savior and not receive Him as Lord or Master. As the one who calls the shots, as the one who is in charge, as the one who gives you direction and purpose and, and gives you boundaries in which to live. And he, he says that today is born in, in the city of David, in Bethlehem, a Savior, a Christ, a Lord. And this will be a sign to you, verse 12 says, you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Why, why is this a sign? Why, why is this unique? You just told us that there was a baby, but how are we going to know this? Well, again, we have to step back and remember that babies... I don't know about you, but we, we delivered our kids. I didn't deliver them. I just kind of stood there awkwardly. Many other people did much more useful things, but I did that, nothingness, at Anova Loudon, at the birthing center, right? It was, it was wonderful. It was great. And uh, there were no livestock on that day. I don't know if they normally have livestock or if that's a, you know, more natural birth type thing. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, but there were, the, the situation that we found ourselves in was very sterile, was very clean, and very, you know, you expected what you got there, right? There were doctors, there were nurses, and there were babies. But he says, you're going to find a baby, that baby's going to be wrapped in swaddling cloths, and you're like, the, the shepherds are tracking, and he says, he says, lying in a food trough. Wait, what did, what did you just say? Did I mishear that? Clearly you meant like lying in a, in a, in a something else. Did you say a food trough? Yeah, a food trough. You know, the thing you put the slop in and the pigs and the, well, probably not pigs, but the other animals come and they, they feed. I mean, it'll be probably cleaned out and I don't think there's going to be any leftovers in there at the time, but you're going to find this baby lying in a main. This is an awkward, strange, unique sign. And in fact, the whole life of Christ is marked by a kind of humility that, that encourages me, and I hope it encourages you, right? The whole of, of this, this story expresses Christ's, God's desire to reach out to those in humble positions. From, from beginning, I read one commentator who said that, that Jesus' life is, is bookended by these moments of, of really humility slash humiliation. He's born really in what would have likely been a cave. And he's placed in a manger, a feeding trough. Right? Not, a, not a glorified position for, for royalty. Right? This wasn't a gold-gilded food trough. It's just a regular, run-of-the-mill food trough. And then he, he dies among robbers. You see, Jesus lived a life of humility and humiliation, and, and it ought to encourage us because he's not... He's not unapproachable. In fact, Philippians, in, in the book of Philippians, in chapter 2, Paul is trying to encourage the Philippians to live a life of humility. And, and what example does he give but, but Christ? He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the, in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, right? If there's, if there's any sort of resonance with what I'm saying about how you ought to live, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one, uh, one mind. And he says this, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Well, why, why should we do that, Paul? Why, why should we consider others more significant? And he goes on in verse 5, and he says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. See, Jesus came to show us how to live a humble life. And Jesus came in a humble way to show us that we could come to him. So the angel gives them the sign. And then something amazing happens. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now in my, in my mind's eye, right, as I sit down in my brain and I, and I imagine this in the theater of my mind, the first thing that comes to mind is a bunch of, um, I'll be honest, blonde, white people, long hair, white robes, and, and wings. And I mean, if you, go to, if you go to Michael's or Hobby Lobby, you'll probably see that. But if you just take that and just push it to the side for a second, and imagine what angels really were, that the, the, there's not really a lot of mention of wings except for with the cherubim and the seraphim, and they were not cute. They were scary as well and powerful and dramatic. But you, you have these, this heavenly host, and, and a host was an, right, it's a heavenly army that just shows up. And they're not singing in chorus, you know, hark the herald angels sing. I mean, maybe there were, but it says that they were praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. So just imagine with me, you, you've just calmed down, right, among the shepherds. You've just, okay, I'm not going to die. There's good news. And then all of a sudden, ah! And thousands upon thousands of, of angels are saying, and I think that they're, they're speaking it with power. They're saying glory to God. Glory to God. And thankfully, they follow it up and say, and on earth, peace. <laughs> Among those, right, almost for their benefit. You're not going to die. Peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Can you imagine how, <laughs> how frightening this story must have been? How absolutely terrified they would have been. I mean, you, again, go through the Old Testament. You can see places where the, the heavenly hosts, they don't come bringing tidings of great joy. They come and they destroy. I mean, the, the closest I can imagine is, is imagine, you know, a bajillion Navy SEALs armed to the teeth yelling at you from space. That's, 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 a, that's an, a, a, a terrifying moment. And it expresses something about the power and the glory of God. And, and in this story, we have this, this really interesting tension between the, the power of God expressed and the humility of God expressed, right? God's coming in power. He's our Savior. He's our King. He's our Lord. And He's a baby. He's a baby. Now, now I want to say, how would you respond to this moment, right? Well, let's just pause for a second. You're, you're, you're there. The angels are doing things. How, you don't have to answer it out loud, but how would you re respond? How, imagine you're, you're hearing this good news. I, I, there's good news of great joy because there's a Savior. There's a king. Oh, that's, that's really nice. And then glory to God in the highest. And peace among those with whom he's pleased. I hope he's pleased with me. How, how do I get to be on that team? I don't want him not to be pleased because clearly that's, I don't want to be on the, on the wrong end of this, this heavenly host. 
In, in this moment, Luke is inviting us to ask the question, what about you, right? At the beginning, I asked the question, who is this present for? And here he's saying, what about you? You know, we see the shepherds responding. How, how are you going to respond? We see the angels responding to the good news, and how do they respond? They glorify God. They, they, they can't help but praise God. You know, when, when the angels come in, in contact with the glory of God, they, they respond appropriately. They glorify God. We read out of uh, Isaiah chapter 9, but in Isaiah chapter 6, we see Isaiah at the throne room of, of heaven, and he encounters some heavenly beings, and, and they are, they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And, and po- it's possible that that's all they do, right? From, from creation to now, there are people, there are, well, there are beings whose only job is to respond to the goodness, the greatness, the glory of God by, by praising him. How would you respond? They quickly respond to the good news in two ways. They, they obey this call that's been given, right, to go and, and see this, and then they worship. Let's look at them obeying. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Again, just to slow down, as you're reading your Bible, when the, when the angels went away from them into heaven, what did that look like? Like they appeared out of nowhere. Did they, did they just, they were in heaven? Or did they just slowly kind of like drop the mic and fly up to heaven? I mean, what, what did that look like? But I mean, you can imagine that the shepherds were like, okay, at some point, you know, they're kind of not able to see the angels and they can t- kind of, okay, game plan. What do we do here, guys? All of a sudden, my, my everyday life doesn't matter. What do I need to do here? What, Bill, what do we need to do here? And they, they get together and they say, you know what, let us go. Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing. And that let us go, there's a sense of urgency to it. Let's go right now. Let's go see this thing that has happened when the Lord, which the Lord has made known to us, they, they respond to the good news. Uh, side note, just uh, by way of interrupting, he says in verse 15, let us go and see this thing which the Lord has made known to us. The good news of the gospel is more than just, hey, live a good life. Hey, be a better person. Hey, be kind and loving. That's, that's not the good news. The good news is news. It's, it's something that, that is, is given to you. It's, it's something that is told to you. It's a report of things that really happened and have implications on your life and on mine. And as you hear this story, the Lord's making it known to you with the expectation that you will respond. And so the shepherds respond by obeying the angels and testifying to what they say. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger Again, this sign was not just the baby, it's not just the, the swaddling cloth, it's this, this strange situation of a baby in a cave, in a feeding trough. This humble circumstance. And they become the first evangelists that we see in, in Luke. Uh, it says that when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So, so many good little nuggets here, right? They, they, they were not, um, they, they had not gone to seminary. Uh, they had not yet uh, got their masters of divinity. Perhaps they would pursue them afterwards, we don't know. Um, 
They were not doctors. These were just guys who had encountered God. And encountering God, they shared what God had done. Like, that is evangelism. When you go to lunch today, you can, you can talk to your, your server and say, hey, how are you doing? You know, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? This is what God's done in my life. You know, we were, we were in North Carolina this past week, and uh, we, we ate at this one. The, the hotel had a, a complimentary breakfast. Uh, and so we went down, and, and one day, one of the ladies was a little standoffish, and it was a little awkward. You know, can we go? I know it's... So I tried to have a, a, a nice conversation with, with her, and, and it turned out she was a nice lady, and, uh, you know, it was a good moment. And then my, my daughter's like, we should pray for her. I'm like, I really don't want to. <laughs> I, I would like to just eat my food. But, you know, my daughter's there, and got to set a good example. And, and so we prayed for her. We, you know, hey, how, Brenda, how can we pray for you? How can we pray? And she just opened up. And, and it was just a, there was a humble offering of, you know, I, I believe in Jesus Christ. He's done some things in my life. You know, how can, how can I reach out to you? The, the, their, their pursuit was in just sharing what they had been given. And I just want to encourage you as, as we approach Christmas Eve especially, just share what you've been given. You don't, you don't have to go and, and get a master's in theology you don't have to go and, and have memorized every book of the Bible. You don't, have to, you don't have to, what has God done in your life? You know, maybe it's, maybe it's just the testimony of Jesus Christ himself. He, he died for my sins, he rose again, and I believe it. Maybe it's something specific recently. But I uh, digress. The, the, the shepherds went and told about what God had done. And many people wondered... You can imagine they're telling this amazing story. Maybe some people, they, they saw some things. I mean, you know, they're in Bethlehem and all of a sudden there's some light and they're like, well, that's weird. And they look out and they can't quite make out what's going on. And then the light's gone and they're like, well, weird. And they just went on with their dinner. And then the, the shepherds come and they say, here's what happened. Totally crazy. Thought I was going to die twice. This one angel comes and he tells me not to fear and I stop fearing. And then he brings all his friends and then I really start to fear. And they start telling me, you know, be at peace. God is pleased with you. And, and they tell their story. And, and everyone, they, they, that's, that's weird. That's interesting. Wow, cool. And they wonder. But Mary responds differently. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her hearts. You know, I, and I think, that, I think that Luke is putting that in there because there is a difference between saying, wow, that's a neat story, and saying, hmm, what are you doing, God? And, and my hope is that as you come to church every week, that you're not just saying, wow, that's neat. That's a neat story, Pastor Eddie. That was a neat explanation of, of that text that I have never read and probably won't. To, to, okay, what does it look like for me to treasure this story as though it is my own? Luke is inviting us in. God is inviting us in to become part of this story. And Mary treasures it. So how, again, I want to ask you, how would you respond to the end of this story? We see that, that after they, they go and they see the, the baby, they, they return. The shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And and. 
it's likely that they went back to their jobs. Right? They went back to their sheep, back to their mundane life. But things had changed. How, how would you respond in that moment? I mean, imagine that you're walking back to the fields of Bethlehem with the shepherds. You've witnessed the same sign that the angels had promised, a baby and a feeding trough. Right? This is, it's been a bizarre night for you. This is, this, is not, this is not your normal Thursday night. And now you understood that, that this humble situation with this baby and the, these two people, it's a sign that God was going to powerfully save his people. Right? You'd, you'd heard, you'd, you'd been raised in, on, on, in the scriptures, and maybe you weren't perfectly uh, a perfect student of the Old Testament, but you'd heard the promises, and you're like, those shepherds, and those angels, they, they'd said that this one was the Savior, that this one was the Messiah, that this one was the Lord, that this little baby, how do, I, how do I make sense of this? The Jesus, the Savior, had come. How would you respond? Because the reality is Jesus has come, and, and like, like the shepherds, we need to be saved we need a savior. We need someone who can take us from not, not the oppression of the Roman Empire, but from the oppression of our sin, and our, our brokenness, our disobedience, and, and the resulting punishment that is owed to us. Paul tells us that, that the wages of sin, the payment for our sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through this little baby. How would you respond you and I, we need a Savior, and we can't do it ourselves, but Jesus can. You and I, we, we live in a world where we cannot control anything outside of ourselves, right? Spouses, you can't control your spouse, and you either know that or you will know that. <laughs> Parents, you can't control your kids. Well, you can control them like to like four, and then by that time, or to like from one kid to two kids, and then it becomes this tag team, zone defense, it's just challenging. There's a level of, of, of boundaries that you can give, but, but at some point you have to recognize the fact that you can't control your kids. You can't control your life. And even if you could, we're not very good at ruling over ourselves. But Jesus, the Messiah, he can. My, my Christian brothers and sisters, we are in great need of, of greater holiness, greater spiritual power, greater hope. And this holiness, this power, this hope that we all need, these are things that we cannot conjure up on our own. Have you ever tried to conjure up holiness in a moment of, of temptation or frustration? Like, I, don't freak out. You know, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. You know, and and, and there's, a, there's a sense that, that my flesh can't get me there. But Jesus, our Lord, our holiness... He makes us able to live holy lives. Jesus, our power, he empowers us to obey. Jesus, our hope, he gives us strength to take one more step forward. You know, you, you will go to lunch likely, and, and my guess is that you will not encounter Gabriel. He won't come to you and say, fear not, keep eating your, your tenders. I got good news for you. You probably won't go home and as you're driving home, see a host of heavenly angels yelling at you, glory to God in the highest. But you have heard because the shepherds have spoken. You have heard because Luke has spoken. You have heard because God has spoken and said, there's good news for you. There's good news for you. How 
are you going to respond today? God has sent us a savior. God has sent us a king. God has sent us a Lord. How will you respond? Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you so much for your son. Heavenly Father, what a good father you are to us to have sent us your son. What a kind father you are to us to have condescended to the most humble in society to show us that you are willing to come to the lowest of low. That really there's, there's no boundary. There's no, there's no barrier when it comes to coming to Jesus. That God, you are willing to, to reach out to the uttermost, to save to the uttermost. And so God, I pray that this Christmas season that, that those of us who who've not trusted in Jesus, that we would put our trust in Jesus. We would see that we need a savior, we need a king, we need a Lord. And those are things that we cannot provide ourselves, but that you have provided in Jesus Christ. And God, for my Christian friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that we would not see this as, well, that's a neat story. I'm I'm glad that I trusted in Jesus so many years ago. But that we'd be freshly reminded that we cannot walk this walk of faith apart from coming freshly to you, knowing that we need to come in humility to receive once again your son, to remember the salvation that you've wrought for our lives and to reestablish our commitment to you. If you're in this room and you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've, you've heard the story, but you've not responded, today is the day to respond. Today is the day to believe in an in-believing act. Like the, like the shepherds do. If that's you, if you want to believe Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you want to act differently, if you want to turn away from your sin and turn to Christ, if you would just raise your hand, I'd love to pray with you. There's nothing magical in, in the raising of your hand, but it's a, it's a way of responding to what God is doing in your life. Father God, we thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. What a great gift you've given us. And we we thank you, God, that that gift is for us. That that gift is for people in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.